In a world where even the smallest disagreements can lead to arguments, violence, and even death, two brothers tackle the difficult subjects. Today, we are going to look back at the, uh, uh, the U.S. response to the, the COVID pandemic. And the reason why I think this is important is that too often, you know, we don't look back and see what did we do right, what did we do wrong, are there things we could have done better, things that we didn't consider. In this case, it's particularly important, although we often do it with things like, you know, the the you know the war in Afghanistan and and uh, uh, 9/11. In this case, it's it's not just about uh, assigning uh, blame or or uh, credit for things that were done, but also because this is probably not going to be the last pandemic. Hopefully, it is the last one of our lifetime, but but there's a good chance it won't be. We've had little mini scares before this. And so it, I think it's important to see, you know, how we've done these things and how we can be ready for the next one. So with that in mind, um, beginning with, uh, uh, I don't know, how do you want to begin this? Um, I don't know. I, well, it was your idea. If you want, I can talk about some things that I thought about, but I'm happy to hear your thoughts because it was it was uh, your 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 uh, thought that brought it to, brought us here. So. Well, uh, if if you if you have anything in particular that you want to start off with, I'm fine with that. I don't have anything that I really you know feeling driven to to bring up first. Okay, I can say a few words on it. Um, so the, a couple of things that I think about in a situation like this. I mean, the first I think the first thing to recognize and to realize is that we're pretty lucky to be in a country where the government is put together well enough that. And I, you know, I bag on government quite a bit, but, um, but I, you know, I think that's just because of our, our differing viewpoints, but I really do. I, I don't want the t my, my thoughts on other parts of what government does to take away from the fact that I feel pretty grateful that, you know, it, it wasn't perfect. And we'll go through a lot of the things that I think could have been done better to be um, a part of a country with a government that A is not authoritarian. So, you know, we have you know, presumably in a democratic society, there's going to be a, a pretty good attempt, a pretty great attempt to um, help a lot of people. And so there was a lot of benefit to to not having a, an overly authoritarian government and one that is pretty well organized, that uh, the economy can support uh, giving people what they need, you know, me and others to know that people are taken care of is, is pretty gratifying. That said, um, I would like to talk about things that I could have been done that could have been done differently. I think any time in a situation like this one, because there is, you know, it, it reminds me of other tragedies like 9/11 or financial crises or things like that, where there is a real danger that in trying to do their best to help, or at least trying to do a job to help, they can really overstep um, what what they should be doing. Um, and in the name of, you know, I think when politicians or bureaucrats are um, searching for solutions, at times it's they want to be seen as coming up with solutions, as doing something. I have to show that I'm accomplishing something for people that I can put on uh, my campaign, you know, uh, brochures or whatever. I can tell people that I made a difference, that I did something. 
Um, and so when we look back at this, I'm hopeful that we can spend some time at least going through uh, some solutions because I think there's a tendency to say, well, listen, we didn't really know what was going on. They had to do something. They had to protect us and they may have been heavy handed, but that was because, you know, they didn't have a lot of data. And I can agree with that to some degree, but I think very quickly it was apparent that there could have been some easy, soft handed uh, solutions and inexpensive solutions that would have made a, a very, very big difference and would have been much better uh, in the long run. Uh, a couple of those that I can think of off the top of my head are, um, uh, I didn't, you know, there, there was no attempt to provide some nuance in who was being uh, protected in the, in the pandemic. And it became very apparent very early on, I mean, not in March or April, but very early on that this pandemic disproportionately affected two groups of people, elderly and people with uh, pre-existing conditions that ended up being maybe comorbidities, people that were overweight, people that were uh, had heart conditions or lung conditions, they were disproportionately affected. And, you know, if I, I sent you some data in, um, in my research that looked at the fact that it really had a much smaller effect on uh, young people and people that were already healthy. So just as an example, it's this number is just, it's just amazing to me that people from the age of zero to 17, there was only 50, almost 1600 deaths over the whole course of the pandemic. I mean, that's an amazing number. They just did not seem to be affected uh, very much by uh, COVID. Um, and, and obviously, you know, if we had done things a little bit differently, more would have been, but they seem to be very dis, I mean, 94% of the people died were above the age of 50. This was really a pandemic that affected older people. And we could have, and we can talk through some of these, we could have really focused on uh, protecting those people as opposed to protecting as much other people. Another one that I thought would have been very, very easy would have been, uh, you know, really spending some time and energy on uh, providing free and, well, low cost and easily accessible testing. So, for example, one of the ideas that I heard early on, like in July of 2020, was, you know, why not provide to businesses very inexpensive, inexpensive testing that when people come in, they can get tested. When they leave, they can get tested and then don't come to work if you're sick. Um, I mean, we were spending trillions of dollars with $100 billion. We could have provided a lot just the research to get these tests very, very inexpensive for people and easily accessible. Maybe not in, in month three or month four, but in month eight or nine, we could have really focusing on that. We could have uh, provided some really good options for people. And I, you know, in the research that I sent you um, there, we ended up paying like thousands of dollars for individual tests. The government did because they were putting it through insurance because they didn't want to charge people all these different types of things. So I think, you know, and we could talk about a lot of these different uh, um, ideas that would have been uh, less heavy handed and would have had really great results. Instead, there and, and part of it was, you know, some of it was political pundits or politicians kind of blowing things out of proportion. We spent a lot of time talking about masks or, uh, you know, talking about vaccine mandates. I think, you know, one of the things that was done was, you know, uh, one of the things that I've complained about a lot was Fauci, how he admitted to misleading people early on because he didn't trust them. This trust, this distrust caused a lot of problems. 
And even things like that, just being open and honest, because then you're going to get people on your side a little bit and not create this division that happened. But I thought some of those were such easy and inexpensive and soft-handed approaches that would have made a big difference. But it's like they want to just force something or um, show that they're doing something much, much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to uh, um, take note of the fact that you started off by um, appreciating and complimenting with with the you know the, the efforts that the government made, and and I and I do appreciate that because I think especially in these situations it can turn into you know a, a a big complaining fest. You know, look at everything they did wrong and never never acknowledging some of the things that 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 did go well. Uh, and uh, so I I appreciate that. I note that. Uh, and I, and I do agree that there was a lot of times, you know, this attempt to look like you're doing something. I remember at one point there was, uh, um, I was trying to get around some traffic and I took some very long circuitous route to do it. And then someone was saying, you know, you probably wouldn't faster just to sit in the traffic. And I said, yeah, but it feels like I'm, 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 because I'm moving faster. I feel like I'm getting there faster. And I realized that I'm saying it as I'm saying, oh, wow, that's really stupid. <laughs> you know, the, the fact that she, the girl was probably right. I would have been faster just to stay in the, in the slower traffic. But there's a feeling like something's happening. And a lot of times I, I think the politicians do similar things. They want, they want their constituents to see activity rather than see, uh, good results. Uh, and I, I think it, I, and I, and it's not just the politicians that are at fault for this, but it's also the constituents that appreciate busyness rather than effective uh, movements or activities. Um, the uh the, the one of the the ones that really frustrated me in in looking back on it was that a lot of policies were put into place and then as the science evolved and science almost always will the policies didn't evolve with the science uh as they became more aware of how how this how covid-19 was transmitted uh the initial efforts of, you know, like the hand washing and, and the cleaning of the surfaces, they recognized that wasn't so important because the the, the COVID-19 uh, didn't last out in open air for very long. And so the cleaning of the surfaces wasn't so important. Likewise, you know, they were so obsessed about uh, keeping people away from each other that in any you know, any group it was a bad group, but then people began to recognize that if you're outside, it's actually pretty healthy. You don't want to be in crowds outside, but being outside in nature, being outside on the beach in California and a bunch of other places were shutting down their beaches in an attempt to try and keep people isolated. When in fact, as long as they're not crowding the beaches, that actually would have been a much healthier place than let's say, you know, in a grocery store, for example, even if you're maintaining six feet of distance. Um, and, and that whole six feet of distance thing is also one that they recognized later on wasn't so effective. They actually needed much larger distances because of the, the droplets versus the aerosol thing. Droplets only go about six feet, um, but the COVID is actually more in the aerosol, much finer mist, and that it can travel much further. They were finding traces of it in the, in the air ducts at some of these hospitals. Um, and that's how, how in the beginning, how it was being transmitted around. And interestingly, that one came out in November. So it was six, eight months after this thing had been around. And that's, you know, but that was when a lot of this information was coming out when some of the policies should have been adjusted and they weren't adjusting uh, for the, the, the new science. And I think this sort of reflects what happens with government is that 
they can be at times quick to act, but incredibly slow to adjust. And and once recognizing that that things can be tailored more specifically, um, I think it's maybe because it might be like an acknowledgement that they were wrong in some way. And no one likes to admit they're wrong pub publicly, especially when um, the public is the ones that are putting you in office, perhaps. I don't know. But I think in general, admitting you're wrong is difficult. Um, and I, I didn't address the, some of the issues that you brought up, but I've been talking for a little bit. So I wanted to give you a chance to respond or to, to add on if you wanted. Oh, I, I think, yeah, we're kind of in agreement so far from everything you've said. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, it does seem interesting that, I don't know what it is, you know, similarly, you know, you were saying before, well, why don't they want to admit that they're wrong or change change course? And it's almost like they grasp onto something and they go down this path and you think, but there's this other solution. You know, uh, I, I don't want to get into you know other topics but that you know climate change is a similar one there's some there it's almost like if they don't um there's you know or nuclear energy there's some aspect there's some things that they just decide they don't like and and they just won't be swayed from it some people or the government i don't know but yeah like it just seems it seems pretty obvious that testing if we could have really focused on testing early on that would have been a great and it took a long time to get accurate testing and i have news stories in here about you know, even uh, that this one professor that, you know, an economics professor that I read, he was talking about uh, they went and got his daughter had to get tested weekly when she was going to school. And remember before how we were talking about how these kids, you know, zero to 17 are just not very um, they're, they're not susceptible at all to the disease. But we were so worried about kids. Now, I know there's parents and teachers and everything, but we could have done other things to help them. But um, anyway, they. He, he talked about going and getting her tested and he got a letter from his insurance company talking about that they had paid $1,150 for the COVID test. I mean, this was well into the pandemic. And so, yeah, they were trying to get tests and they made stuff available. And it was almost as if they said, whatever the cost, we're going to pay this stuff. When the focus should have been try to get tests easily accessible and as cheap as possible so, so quickly. And if you did, I mean, what a great way that's so simple and not very invasive. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, because some people didn't want the vaccine. They were nervous about taking a vaccine that wasn't tested, that wasn't well tested in the long term. So, but instead, we're like forcing it on, you know, in, in many ways, the vaccine was forced on people. Um, it wasn't a mandate, but in some ways, it was a mandate. And there's a lot of things that could not be done if you weren't, if you weren't vaccinated. But I think it would have been much easier to give people the option to say, we have this easily, uh, uh, this easily um, accessible, very cheap test <clears throat> that would have solved a lot of problems, but they won't change tack or look at this other one that is just so non-invasive. I, do, I don't understand. I, I'm kind of with you where I just don't get it why some things like that that seem so obvious and easy just did not want to be addressed. Well, I'm a little more compassionate about the um, the, the the children or the, the, the concern about the children, mainly because the the covid was fairly contagious you know it had a it had a high transmission rate and so yeah if you have the, the and one of the things with the children is that while they didn't suffer you know, severe symptoms they were just as likely to catch the disease as anybody else and so when you have kids that maybe are around the teachers and you're, or you're asking the teachers just to go and you know put themselves in harm's way 
and and a lot of you know teachers they well there are young teachers but it tends to be an older profession people that are in their 40s and 50s um there are a fair amount of people that are teaching at those ages and so you're asking them to put themselves at risk and then you have the fact that you could have a child that gets that catches covid and then coming home to parents or even to grandparents who would then be really, you know, fragile in, in such a, you know, an environment. And so I, I'm sort of torn with the, with the kid question because I do, I mean, I recognize the fact that the schooling was, you know, was really impeded in that time. And, you know, that's, it's the first time that we've had a nation had to, you know, pull kids out for such a, for a full year. Um, the entire, in most states, the entire population for a year. Um, and I, I, I struggle to find a good solution to that problem, um, because of the fact that it was a contagious disease. No, I get that. But once again, I don't think that ad- addresses, um, you know, there's, there's more solutions. It's like you're, it's like the, everybody thought, well, there's just two solutions. You either shut down schools completely or you open them back up and all these old people have to go to work and die. When I think there's a lot of gray area there. For example, if you have a, you know, I mean, give people some options. Now, if you have one family and let's say that their older elderly grandma lives with them, you know, so you've got three generations living in the home, maybe they have the option of, yeah, that person can get some remote schooling or something like that. But you've got some other families uh, that, um, you know, you've got a couple of kids under the age of 10 and two parents in their 30s and they say yeah we're not worried we want to go to we want our kids to go to school and then you go to the school and you say yeah there's some teachers uh that are older and are at risk let's you know give them the option to not come into work and to, or to do you know they maybe focus on the remote learning or something like that I, I thought there should have been a more robust response than just well either we shut down the schools completely or uh we open them completely because there was a lot of gray area there and i'd have been fine if we just said listen if you want to go back to work, you know, and if they were just open and with, with us and said, listen, we've taken a look at the data here. And so far, it looks like older people are much more susceptible and people with pre-existing conditions are much more susceptible. You can make your own choice. If you'd like to return to work, you can. Otherwise, we're going to help you out and we're going to do all that we can to help those people. You know, if you're over the age of 50 and you're nervous, certainly over the age of 60 and definitely over the age of 70, we're going to do all that we can to protect and help you. And if you've got family members that are close to you that, you know, that live with you, we're going to do all that we can to help and protect you. But other people, maybe we can start to go back to work. And I think you would have seen at least some of those people in those situations, teachers and otherwise, that would have returned. Uh, but instead, it was like this, you know, it's like either you're, you're, you're opening completely or not. That, that's, that seemed like a false choice to me. There were a lot of options in between that were never addressed. No, that's a fair point. You're right. There, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of options. And you, even the, in the states where they pushed back aggressively against the shutdowns and against what the, you know, the, a lot, what a lot of the liberal states were doing, they were going the complete opposite direction. They also weren't offering the options. They were going just as, you know, as aggressively in the direction of putting everyone back into, you know, into, you know, regular population, regular activities. So no, yeah, it, it's a valid point. Um, and I, I think it is worth, uh, also addressing, uh, some of the uh, Anthony Fauci and, and, and I don't want to get into the whole mask conversation because you and I have hashed that out a, a couple times and I, you know, I don't want to hash it out one more time. But what was interesting is, is that I heard an interview with him, uh, a, a week ago, a few weeks ago where he was 
kind of washing his hands of the responsibility of, of the actions where he, he was saying, hey, I'm just a scientist. I just put the information out there. It's up to the politicians and, and the bureaucrats to decide what to do about it. And I, I thought it was really interesting because, you know, he wasn't taking that sort of approach in the beginning. He wasn't saying to Trump, hey, this is just information, Mr. President. You do with it what you will. No, he, he was pretty he was pretty active in, in pushing what he wanted to have happen. But what's also interesting, and I'm going to call the press out on this, is that my recollection, and maybe it's not the press, maybe it was my remembrance of, of what was actually happening, was that my recollection was that that Fauci was, was uh, if we talk about the origins of, of where COVID came from, um, my recollection is Fauci and a bunch of other people were saying, oh, absolutely came from the wet market. That was the source. That was the animal to, animal to human transition, tra a transmission. It did not come from the lab. And so before this before you know th this week as i was preparing for this i went to go and look back and first of all it's hard to find because there's so much news it's hard to find news from the, from early 2020 you know when you go and do the searches you, you know get it from 2022 20, and 2021 but when i went back and found the news when i could find actual quotes of fauci and i wanted him in particular he was actually being a little more nuanced it probably came. It's mo the most likely explanation is that it came from the the, the wet markets. But when we when my recollection is, is when the news was reporting it, they were saying wet market definitely not a lab leak, and that wasn't what he was saying. But it wasn't being reported that way. Um, so, and and maybe other scientists were being a little more emphatic about it. Wet market not lab. Um, but what and and I only found a couple sources. Like I said, it was hard to find them. But there was a big push in, in the, the news media saying, here's the solution. Here was the, this was the source. This is what the scientists are saying we need to do. And I do wonder if we went back, would there be a little more uh, uh, caution in the words of some of the scientists that was being uh, turned into a black and white conversation by the media? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, re I read a little bit about him, about Fauci and it. He seems duplicitous. Like his talk, like he was asked specifically if there was any gain of function research. And even now, like there, there, there's been plenty of reporting that there was gain of function research funded by the NIH. And he's adamant that that wasn't gain of function research. I don't, it's crazy. I wonder, yeah, I can't tell because there were a lot of instances like that where, you know, I remember when uh, I was hearing all this, you know, similar to what you were saying. Uh, that uh, another instance of it was Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were talking about, listen, if what I was hearing was if uh, I'm not going to take the vaccine, I mean, it's Donald Trump, like he's pushing for it. I'm not going to take the vaccine. There's no right. way. And the second they get into office, like, oh, yeah, I've got to take the vaccine. Oh, we're the reason we're getting the vaccine out. Like, we're going to look at all this great stuff we're doing with the vaccine. And and then you go back and you read it and you're like, well, they didn't quite say that they didn't. It was like, well, I don't trust the vaccine unless they had they worded it in some way that kind of deflected away from the fact that they might take it at some point just they didn't trust trump or something i don't know if that's intentional the way that they've worded it and then you know as you say that the the newspapers or the media comes out and blows it out of proportion i don't know but it's really it's really frustrating when you go back and you're hearing all this stuff and maybe that's somewhere where some of the division in our the divisiveness in our country comes from because you hear something and you know, it really gets blown out of proportion. And then you go back and look at it and like the, the source really wasn't as adamant as uh, as you originally thought, if that if I'm being clear, if I'm making sense of that. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I think that we as humans tend to uh, simplify and summarize. And I do think that media in general will do that as well, because, you know, you've got you've got only, only so much space for a headline and, and you're trying to get the information out. And you may, you know, further down the article present more of the, the you know, the, the two sides, the nuance and everything else. But if, you know, if I only read the headline in the first paragraph, because I'm busy and I got to get to my, you know, the, the, the next tweet or whatever it might be, whatever next thing that I'm looking for, then I'm not going to get to the, you know, the two sides of the argument. I'm just going to see the one. And so I think, oh, I think you're being very kind to the news media there. Maybe I mean, you and I, you've seen plenty. I've, I, you yeah. and I have talked about plenty of instances where it, you know, it's apparent that, um, you know, on both sides, yeah. you know, the, the right side and the left side that they, they present stuff as black and white. They're taking, they're taking a side as they present the issues, as opposed to just presenting like, well, here's the information. And they're, te- they're taking a side and they're very biased in how they do it. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to offer them some space to uh, um, some excuse, you could say, because, you know, they're, they're not intentionally trying to mislead. Maybe they're just trying to simplify the article, but we know that there are times on both sides where they maybe are intentionally trying to make one person look a little better or one person look a little worse. And, and especially at that time in the white house, there was a lot of people on the left in the media that were against the main guy in charge but we're very supportive of some of the people that were on the science side that were working for him. And I, and I think that they might've tried and been more than happy to put some of the responsibility of the failures on the main guy in charge on Trump. And then, you know, try and show that the, some of our scientists like, like red, red, red fish, red field and, and uh, um, Fauci and uh, you know, some of the others were, were had our best interests at heart, but they, you know, they just could, didn't have the power to be able to do anything. And of course, now we have thought you saying, hey, it wasn't my fault. It's not yeah. me. You know, blame the other guy. No. Well, yeah, I mean, Trump in general, I I don't like he I just don't know who he is because the way that he's the way that they've reported on him all the time. It's like it is so misleading. So there's plenty of there's plenty enough bad. They could have just told the truth. But, you know, that's where that. You know, it's similar to, to what we were saying before, where it just breeds distrust. Just say what actually happened. You know, yeah. it's it's amazing how much his words get twisted and they're easy to twist because he's kind of the way he meanders when he talks. Yeah. And there were times <laughs> where where, you know, he he was, uh, you know, he, he would say some pretty horrendous things like the, you know, maybe we should. Uh, was it the, something about drinking bleach or we should get bleach into our system? I, I, Brian, Brian, I, I'm glad you brought that one up just briefly. Because I looked at, I I was looking at that okay. Politifact, no bastion of right wing thinking. Politifact, uh, t- you know, talking about that, it says that you know, and this is just a summary, and I've got the article listed in in my notes. But uh, the briefing transcripts, and this is the transcript of what um, Trump said in that day, with that day when he was talking about injecting bleach. The briefing transcript shows that Trump did not say people should inject themselves with bleach or alcohol to treat the coronavirus. He was asking officials on the White House Coronavirus Task Force whether they could be used in potential cures. Right. But even at this point, you, you know, well, like everybody thinks that he said stuff like that. We've talked about that before. It's the it's the media, the way that they're presenting him and the things that he said. It's also the way that he says it, because I do remember watching that that. uh that 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 art the interview is saying hey what about the thing you know we should you know i'm not saying this is what it is but you know maybe it's something we should look at and that's the way he phrased it maybe this is something we should look at i think there could be something here and then 
then the uh, poison control centers reported a big uptick in people calling in and asking if they could do something with bleach. So you have the guy that's kind of vague and misleading, and you have a bunch of foolish people that are, are then say, oh, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe I should be doing this. So no, it's not entirely him, but he has a, he, he has a he has a skill to say things without saying things or to imply things where everyone knows what he's implying, but he hasn't actually said anything. Um, well, and, and it, I think I think valid. that's the the that is the bias that I think the media that's the problem is the the media thinks that way that he's he's always trying to trick us he's always trying to mislead us he's you know using his words in different ways but when you just look at what he actually said it's not that and so if you start with this bias that he's always trying to trick us and mislead us he's so it's funny because I listen to him and he does not seem nuanced and and sneaky or whatever he seems over the top and bombastic yet it, people kind of act and, and he and he also it kind of wanders when he talks so it can't be both that he's like this you know over the top uh how would you say always putting his foot in his mouth but he's also this slick nuanced you know uh person that can really put words in just the perfect way that could be misinterpreted like it, it can't be both I don't know. I, I if you go with the bias that he's always trying to trick people, then and, and that he's a, a racist, but he's trying to hide hide it, and he's trying to use all these word plays, then you report on him differently than if you just report on what he said. And what you should be, what people should be doing, is reporting on what he said. And even Politifact said that this is what he said. Now I I'll, I'll take the point that he I'll go as far as to say it is confusing at times, <laughs> and he meanders, and you know it is difficult to be the guy that's like trying to defend this weird. You know, I would prefer to have to defend your words or my words, even though we're not the most eloquent people in the world, much more than having to defend Donald Trump's. But when you look at what he actually said, they often overstep and are just, you know, uh, giving all sorts of motivations to or, you know, imply inferring all sorts of things that maybe aren't there. You're right. You know, there's he he says something sort of vague and, and implying. And then next thing you hear on, on some of the media outlets is Trump says we should be injecting bleach into our into our blood. Which, of course. Yes. So you're, you're right. I mean, it, it does sometimes go too far. Um, and, 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 and if we talk about like the people that were confused by it, I'm sure there's things that we could. I mean, it, the guy we have in, in office right now is maybe similar in some ways well and, and that's actually i was what i was going to say next is you have it happen on the other side where, where you hear people on the far right that are saying that biden's he, he's senile you know he's got dementia and the next thing they talk about is how cleverly he's manipulating the media well which is it is it, you know you can't be both senile and with dementia and cleverly manipulating the media so no mm -hmm. I, I i get your point um, there was one article i ran across i just where you know as we kind of move towards the end of this conversation it was an article that was written by a scientist, and, and, he, and he, he was talking about looking back on some of the uh, decisions that were made and some of the predictions. And he, he said, my wrongness is not a referendum on my expertise, but instead is the normal price to pay for making predictions in the process of science. And I feel like this is what's so important is because in the beginning of the COVID, they were basing their, their uh, suggestions and analysis 
not on COVID-19 because we didn't have any information on COVID-19. We were look, they were looking at related and similar diseases. Um, some of the other SARS, CoV-2, CV2, whatever it was. Um, what are the ones that are similar? That's where they got the whole thing about washing surfaces, uh, you know, because there were other related diseases or uh, viruses that would last for a very long time on the surfaces. And so we need to wipe down all those surfaces. But when they got the new information about the COVID-19 in particular, that's when they didn't update. Uh, he said, as we reflect on ways to prevent the next pandemic, most conversations have been appropriately focused on improving the science of prediction. Uh, but science of communicating with the public is just as essential. Uh, and, and that's where um, I think there was a little bit of failure, both on the, on the part of the scientists and on the part of the media, and then on the part of the politicians that were implementing some of those uh, suggestions and recommendations. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, as you said before, the, the normal people too, it was almost like, trust the science, you, you know, you, you need to believe the scientists and all this stuff. And in meantime, there's, it's also new. They don't really know what they're talking about, you know? Uh, and so just be patient with everybody. And if people have different, that was, that, that was the main, one of the main reasons that I had such a problem with a vaccine mandate is it, it just seemed a, a heavy handed um, solution when there seemed to be so many other softer solutions that would have, um, that we knew so much more about um, but I think, yeah, in general, the conversations became very heated as people were saying, well, I heard, you know, they it was almost like trust the science because I heard one scientist at one point or somebody quote a scientist say this. And so he must be right. When it was all so new, there was no way really to know what all the best solutions were. Um, but it didn't seem like there was any humility or, um, you know, tempering of of uh opinions it was everybody seemed so certain when this was the first time that this has happened it was so different from that this particular instance had happened and it was so different from other ones yeah so i'd agree yeah and i mean what, what sometimes is forgotten is that the the mrna vaccine this wasn't the first time it was used but it was the first time that it was used on such a large scale uh they they had an mrna vaccine for i think it was ebola but we never had such a dramatic uh, outbreak of Ebola. So we never really saw what the impacts of it could be. Um, and so there was some, still some people who were rather nervous about using an mRNA vaccine that it was going to change your DNA and, and that, you know, it was going to do all these crazy things to you. And, you know, and there were, you know, what was interesting about the vaccine discussion was it seemed in the past, because always in the past, I kind of, I rail against the FDA and I say there's too much regulation and, you know, uh, many of these vaccines or, um, solutions or m medications take so long to get approved by the FDA, you know, why not just give people the option to, to let it happen sooner? Because in all these years of trials, there's people that want, you know, a, a solution, but they can't get it because they're waiting for it to get approved. Just, you know, loosen up the restrictions and let more people uh, have access to these uh, solutions that the drug companies are coming up with. And you'd say, well, what about thalidomide? I mean, you know, somebody could be, uh, um, you know, somebody could be adversely, there could be large groups of people that are adversely affected or die or something. We need to be very careful. The FDA needs to take the FDA needs to take their time. And then this comes up and we kind of switch sides. And I was like, well, people shouldn't have to take it. And, uh, and you were saying, well, uh, people should take it. And you were kind of a proponent. You were at least leaning heavily towards a vaccine mandate if necessary. And where I was saying, no, it shouldn't be. It was interesting how we kind of switched sides on it. I felt mine was consistent because 
I've always said, you know, when I was talking about we should loosen the restrictions, not that we force people to take this stuff, but, you know, is it just interesting how we, you know, our, our viewpoints, or at least we took a different side of the debate than we might have expected uh, based on a, our previous arguments. Sure. And and the reason why I did, although it was a new vaccine, the process wasn't new. The process had been used before. And it's also worth noting that the vaccine, they had a vaccine within a week of having the, I think, the the genome sequence of, of yeah, the virus. Like January. They had it long before it ever came to the country. And the reason why uh, it took so long to get the vaccine into people was the testing was that I think there was like six months of, of uh, trials, of clinical trials. And then they had to go, once they knew that it was good, they had already started uh, incubating and creating the, the 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 virus for general consumption, but it takes a lot of time to wrap up the manufacturing. So that's why it took a little while. Um, yeah, so the vaccine came in quick. Uh, anything you want to say to finish this one up? No, uh, no, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hope we uh, we don't run into this again. But uh, there's a good chance we will. And I, th- I hope we learn some lessons. And I, and I don't just mean the politicians, but also or the scientists, but also the general population as well. About, oh, uh, I would like to say, Brian, I, I, yeah. I, I second that fully because we do have a couple more minutes I can see. Yeah. But uh, what I would say, I think the main lesson should be, or at least the main takeaway, I think, should be that um, uh, we should often in when government is stepping in, especially in. A serious situation like that, because in a serious situation like that, I think many times we suspend the normal uh, restrictions we would put on government to we, we would give them more control, not martial law, but something like that, you know, where we say, hey, listen, this is an emergency. So we need to give them special powers that we normally wouldn't give them. Sure. I think in situations like that, it's very important that we take a step back Oh, as it, I, I always think this is important, but especially in situations like this, I think we take a step back and say, what are the simplest? least invasive, least heavy-handed options that could provide us um, some traction. Mm-hmm. I think that's what should be done, as opposed to jumping to vaccine mandates and, you know, rushing things and closing everything, you know, look for ways that we can find some common ground. And, uh, you know, just like those, the testing that's less invasive, um, you know, when I got the vaccine and everybody's talking about how important the vaccine was, it was like they looked away from the fact that people that had already had the disease we're going to have more immunity than those people with a vaccine. Like those types of things were ignored when I should, I think they should be focused on look for easy, simple, non-invasive solutions uh, in situations like that. And always when you're looking at government. Yeah. And, and, and I think uh, also important is that after, after an effect, after an event like this is that there's some uh, assessment going back and looking at it and and trying to figure out what worked, what didn't work and, and adjusting. Um, so, okay, good. We're not going to, we're not going to rush to panic to get everything uh, said in the last minute. So, uh, thanks Colin. And we'll talk about, uh, the next, uh, topic. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Later. Bye. We hope you learned something in this episode of brother versus brother, a podcast about difficult conversations. We also hope that you enjoyed it enough to subscribe to the podcast. You can help us by spreading the word. Share this episode on your favorite social media so that others will have an opportunity to experience it as well. You can also support us by donating through Patreon. This information and more can be found on our website, broconvo.com, and on our various social media accounts. Thank you.